You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Good morning, church. Amazing, beautiful faces. So glad you're here. You can turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, so towards the beginning of your Bibles. Um, If you're newer to our community, hopefully you noticed this morning how central to this church family the presence of God is. We come in with plans, and they're always submitted to what God wants to do. And, um, and I just feel like there's no other way to do life and do, to, to do church than to keep preeminent, central, the presence of God. I believe we owe this world an encounter with God. Not an encounter with church or business as usual, but an encounter with God. And uh, that's why we so seek to be sensitive to what God is doing in a moment, in a place. We feel st- we've felt stirred to camp out here in Exodus chapter 14 for several weeks. So that's where we're going to be, going verse by verse by verse through this really epic moment in Israel's history, this showdown with the Red Sea, which seems so iconic, it seems so unique. But what I'm trying to convince our church of, our church family, if you call this home, if If you're here this morning, you have breath in your lungs, I'm trying to convince you that although this is unique in its specifics, this this, uh, this, uh, showdown with the Red Sea, it's not all that unique in uh, in the overarching story of God's people. God has called the people of God to be a supernatural people, to be a miraculous people. And so we see it time and time again. The specifics change, the unique uh, intricacies of it change, but overall, God is calling us to trust him for our provision. For him to show himself uh, powerful, to show himself as our, our way maker, our miracle worker on our behalf. And so we see that time and time again. Uh, and so we're camping out here in Exodus chapter 14. I believe God is positioning our church for the impossible, positioning you as an individual to be a person of the miraculous. You've been grafted into something miraculous. Bring yourself back to that moment when you surrendered your life to Christ. You were grafted into something miraculous. I shared it last week, Psalm 113, about how God takes you from the dunghill, from, from the trash heap, and he props you up with princes. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what he saved you from. I don't know where he brought you from, what your, your family story is, what your background is, but whatever it is, it's miraculous. Jesus called it a rebirth, a new birth, being born again. And it is inherently miraculous. But the, the, the miracle working nature of God's work in our life is not supposed to end at salvation. It actually ushers us into a new way of life, which is miraculous. Where we're expecting God to do the impossible, where we're leaning in and depending on him, where we're taking risks, where we're trusting him. And so I believe God is positioning our church for that. And I believe we also have a, such a rich heritage and inheritance that you and I, we stand on in the miraculous. Even this morning, my wife, Tanya, is sharing her testimony of God healing her of anxiety and then those panic attacks. That's a, that's a testimony which becomes our inheritance and that then informs our grid for our vision of the future. Hey, God's done it before. So when we stand before somebody else, they're in a battle with, with empathy and with compassion. We hear their story and then we minister in faith believing that God can do it again. He did it once and he can do it again. This week I got to, I got to hang out with a, a saint of our church. Her name is Phyllis Ma. Uh, she was in first service and she's attended our church for over 50 years. 
She's, she's an amazing, beautiful woman of God. She grew up in Taiwan in a Buddhist family. Some missionaries came when she was just a teenager and began to preach the gospel in her little village and her dad ended up surrendering, her life, surrendering his life to Christ. The rest of the family re- remained in their Buddhism, especially her mom was very staunch in her, in her d- desire to honor their heritage in Buddhism. After a little while though, uh, Miss Phyllis got really ill. She got very sick and ended up being hospitalized with undiagnosed sickness. It just completely um, paralyzed her and took her out. And she was in there for 10 days, in the hospital for 10 days. The missionaries came and they visited her and they shared the good news of Jesus with her. And it was right there in the hospital that she accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. And she was ushered into the miraculous. Out of a life of Buddhism and, and you know, this self-individualization uh, or self-enlightenment through Buddhism to encountering her savior that she can't save herself and ushered into the miraculous. Then, then, because she was ushered in the miraculous, they prayed for healing in her body. And although the doctors didn't have an answer that morning, she encountered her great physician, her healer, and she walked out of that hospital to the amazement of her family and her friends, and she was walking to the church and testifying to people about how God healed her body. And so I share that story because there's no expiration date on our testimony. And as a church, there's no expiration date on those testimonies that we all hear and that we walk in. Those become our inheritance. Those become our our heritage as a people of God. And we stand on those. And those begin to inform our vision of the future. I believe God is positioning us for the impossible. That means we're going to have to look at our city differently than what comes natural. It means we're going to have to look at our, the cultural tides and the, the cultural pressures that we're feeling. We're going to have to choose to look at them differently and be informed by this spiritual, radical inheritance that we've been given. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you believing God for? I believe as a child of God, that's your destiny, that's the, the purpose called, that you're called into, is to dream with the Lord, to take risks, to depend on him, to lean on him. So what are you believing God for? What are you depending on God for? Are you taking risks? Every time we take a risk, we're creating capacity for God to do what only he can do. If you live a life with no risks, that means you're leaning on yourself, you're depending on yourself. I'm not trying to step on toes, but it's the reality. When we, every time we take a risk in God, yeah, you may look like a fool, people may misunderstand you. You may be mocked, you may be... Uh, misunderstood, but you're giving God space to do what only he can do. And I believe in all of our hearts, eternity is written on our hearts, we all long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, we all long to be a part of something that's supernatural, it's written on our hearts. So I want to embolden you this morning as we look at this story in Exodus 14, I want, I want to embolden you to be courageous and to begin to, to lead into the impossible. So for some, this morning, God's going to burst some dreams in your heart dreams that seem bigger than you. For others, God's going to resurrect some dead dreams, maybe things you let rest, and he's going to resurrect them and bring them to life in a fresh way with fresh faith for you you to step forward. This is such a beautiful story, Exodus chapter 14. This story demonstrates God not only as our deliverer, yes, he's delivered you from your your sins and the the eternal consequences of our sin, But the Exodus story is a a beautiful, beautiful picture of God as our guide, as our provider, as our sustainer, as our miracle worker, as our way maker, 
as our fire in the night, as our cloud by day. It's all of those things. And that becomes the way of life as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God. If you said yes to Jesus, you're a child of God and that becomes your new way of life. So let's take a look at this, Exodus 14. You thought I was never gonna actually read the passage, right? I know. So last week, last week we finished off chapter 13 and God delivered them from Egypt to the edge of the wilderness in Etham. That's what, it, that's what it says, the edge of the wilderness. And they believe that's where their destiny is, that God's gonna lead them there into the wilderness until God calls an audible here in Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharahoth. Was that convincing? This sounded like I knew how to say that. I don't know how to say that. You can ask your neighbor if they know how to say that. Between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he'll pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And here's a really important sentence in this passage. And they did so. Obedience. As the Lord is leading, in leading into the impossible, it already was an impossible scenario. Oh wait, the superpower of the day is gonna let his uh, free manpower go into the wilderness and then somehow they're gonna survive in the wilderness. But no, God always keeps us on our toes and if you're not on your toes as a child of God, you're doing something wrong in Christianity. If you're bored in Christianity, you're definitely doing something wrong in Christianity. We're supposed to be on our toes, uh, uh, attuned to what God is leading us to do and here God calls them, as he gets to the edge of the wilderness, he calls them, to do an about face and to turn and to go and encamp in front of the sea. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go and just encamp in front of a sea. We're gonna encamp at a dead end. That sounds like a great strategy if you're trying to get away from, from an enemy, from an oppressor. You've been in, in, this sla- uh, in slavery for more than 400 years and now that you're free, he actually lets you go. We're gonna go and encamp in front of the Red Sea. So from glory to glory is often from impossibility to impossibility. They're this nomadic people that God's delivered from one impossible situation into another. And that is intended to be our way of life as the children of God. But if that's gonna be our way of life, we need to graduate from passivity and immaturity into maturity and to, into being active, actively responsive to what God tells us to do. That does take some courage, I know, but when we do it together as friends, as family, it's, it's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot more fun. And God is calling you to, to kind of rise out of our passivity and rise out of our apathy and really to go for something in our generation. And this morning, I believe God's gonna call you. He's gonna stir something up in your heart to begin to step out and to lead. The key here in this passage is not so much the what God is calling Moses to do, but the fact that he's obedient. The what and the how are kind of irrelevant. But if God told you to do it, do it. And so from a leadership perspective, I mean, Moses grew up in Egypt. He, he kind of knew how they fought and he knew Pharaoh was kind of uh, whimsical in terms of his emotional state. He knew he could change his mind at any moment. And he knew his watchmen were, had, had, his, had their eyes on, on this mass of people migrating through the wilderness. And so Moses knew all of that. And yet 
he chose to be obedient to what seemed like the foolishness in the natural. So God is positioning us face to face with some impossible scenarios. In our city, here we are, like as Tani just prophesied and spoke out over our church, here we are positioned in the midst of a generation in crisis with anxiety and depression. And so we can, we can either um, draw back into our passivity and just kind of hunker down in the four walls of the church, or we can allow this courage and faith to rise up in our hearts and say, oh wait, we carry the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a message of hope that's meant to be deliverance for a people that are oppressed. And we can allow that to begin to position us to believe for the impossible. And God's, God's calling us to look at our city differently. He's calling us to look at the campus and to believe that God would use us to see thousands of students come to know him. And nothing less, that's his heart, that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's his heart. I believe God has positioned us right here, a block away from the hospital, because as it's been prophesied over our church, that we would be a house of healing. Many in this place have encountered the great physician for themselves. So I dream of a day when people, they catch wind of what God is doing here and, and they're planning on going to the doctor and they say, oh, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna get prayed for. Just kind of one last hope, I mean, one last chance. Before I go to the hospital, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna get received prayer and, and God's gonna begin to touch bodies. We're gonna be a house of healing. But these are the impossibilities that God is positioning us for. That's our destiny as people of God, as the children of God. It's in this position of trusting him. We can manufacture something in our flesh. We can depend on our natural abilities or we can lean in and look like fools from, from, some, from some vantage points and press in and believe that God wants to do the miraculous in our day. So there's two things I want us to, to take out of this passage right now this morning to learn from, from Moses and, and the people of God as they trust his leadership in this moment. And then we're gonna end with water baptisms this morning. Woot, woot, right? Come on. It's going to be awesome. Two things. One is this. Moses hears from the Lord that, that they're supposed to take an about face and supposed to turn. And God tells him to speak this out over the people of God, to not stay silent about what God had spoken to him. He says, tell the people this. Look like a fool for my, for my, for my glory, for my causes, for my purposes. So I think the, the very first thing God wants us to to um, write on our hearts this morning is that we need to speak out the impossible. When God stirs, sparks, uh, initiates faith in our hearts, we need to begin to open up our mouths and speak out the impossible things that God is putting on our hearts in the context of community. There's, there's so many dimensions to the power of our words, but, but two, I think, very obvious ones in this passage is one is accountability. If God tells you to do something and you open up your mouth and tell your friend or your, your, your life group about what God is stirring in your heart, you're all of a sudden kind of called, called to the carpet to actually do something about it, to actually be obedient. Otherwise, it just stays in the realms of theory in our head. But when we speak it out, it begins, it begins to be the, the seeds that bring it to fruition of accountability. Just this last summer, actually it was spring, I was going through the manuscript for, um, for Randy Hansen. He wrote a book called Healing the Sick. And, uh, and we were going through the process of helping him publish the book. And, and he was eventually going to teach this class that we offer here at this church, uh, Lifestyle Christianity and Healing the Sick. Um, 
So I was going through that manuscript, and as I was reading, it's just so thoroughly scripture, just so thoroughly, uh, just an immersion in God's view and his, his will to heal. And, and as I read it, I was like, we have to have our entire leadership team go through this. Before we even offer it to the church, our entire leadership team needs to go through it. It's our staff, our elders, our trustees. We spent in a summer, nine weeks, going through this, this book and this class, and Randy was our instructor. And there was many reasons I wanted to do that. But one of the main reasons is the power of accountability that, that, that happens when we begin to proclaim and declare what's true, what's truly uh, revealed to us through God's word. It then keeps us accountable. If God has revealed him to, himself to us as, as our physician, as our, as our healer, as our savior in that regard, then what are we doing about it? Like, do we actually believe that has any bearing on our neighborhood and our city and the relationships that we find ourselves? I believe it, it calls us to then be accountable to what's been revealed to us. The second aspect of the power of speaking out the impossible, the power of our words, is the reality of, then of, of how it aligns us with what is true. It aligns our hearts with what is true. The, the only thing that got Moses to this point in his leadership was the divine calling of God upon his life. It was a miraculous encounter in the wilderness. He was a nobody in exile, you know, working for his father-in-law until God intervened miraculously, plucked him out of that situation and called him back to Egypt. And Moses' story from that, from that point has always been miraculous. So why would he depart from the miraculous now? Like, why would he depart from trusting that God has a better way than what his mind, a better way than what his mind could come up with? So when we speak out the impossible, we're aligning our hearts with what is true. And Moses here, he overcomes a great disqualifier in his life. He spoke in Exodus chapter 3, you know, in that encounter with God through the fiery bush, that, he, um, that he's not eloquent. He doesn't have the words to say. He's not, he's not uh, good with his words. And God uses that very disqualifier in this moment to proclaim to the children of Israel, hey, we're going to change plans here. We're going to turn over here and go to that town that we could not pronounce. There's power when we open up our mouth and we proclaim the impossibilities of God. It centers us on these very foundational truths of what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. It's only possible through him that we're children of the supernatural, children of the miraculous. So you begin to declare that over your life. You're not a slave to anxiety. That God still heals depression today in the 21st century. He's still our great physician. And he wants you to be able to worship him, even with your mind. That God is the restorer of your family. I stand before you testifying of God's power to restore families. And so whatever situation you find yourself in, you can begin to declare, as Tony was saying, prophetically, uh, who God is in faith. And it centers our hearts on what we know to be true, overriding our circumstances. God, God can heal me of addictions. This is so important, the power of our words. Are you guys tracking with me? This is not some, not name, this is not some uh, name it and claim it theology. This is building our lives on the truth of God's word which then becomes the preeminent dominant reality over your life. It's what his word says over your life. As James describes it, he says that our tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Just as this, this tiny part of a ship can drive this huge, massive vessel, so it is with our bodies. We have this tiny little tongue. 
And it, it dictates and, and determines much of our destiny, much of our future. Our words matter. This is a simple biblical truth that's repeated time and time again. First Thessalonians says, rejoice always. Do all of your circumstances in the natural always seem like they elicit rejoicing in your heart? No. The answer is no. Nobody answered. <laughs> Do your circumstances elicit that sort of response, rejoicing? No, but that's, your, that's the will of God for your life, is that you would learn to rejoice always. He says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's God's will for your life. That's his best for your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. That's God's will for your life, is for you to realize that your words matter. We begin to take these thoughts captive and we declare a different narrative over our lives. It's the truth of God's word. For the sake of time, I'm gonna move on. Well, I'll, I'll share this. You know, every time I stand before you honestly and open, open up my mouth, I believe it's a testimony of God's work in my life. I, I, I really, um, I, I can relate to Moses in his resistance to God calling him to lead the people of Israel. He said, I'm not eloquent, I don't have the words to say. And I've shared a little bit about my, my own introvertedness and story of getting over myself. But this, is, this, is not the, this does not come natural to me. I, I've shared often that uh, in middle school, I'd go an entire day without talking to another human being. I was just so tied up and paralyzed in, in my insecurities and my introvertedness that I just kind of escaped and isolated myself from the world. Until the Lord called me out of that. And I'm still introverted, it's fine. If your personality is more quiet, more reserved, that's totally cool. And I'm content just sitting in my seat and, and being to myself. But there's a message burning in my heart that I cannot stay quiet. And I have to begin to share that with the people around me. And, and, and God began to realize that he's giving me a mouth, to be, to be a mouthpiece to, to this generation, to, to speak life into people's lives. So every time I open my, open my mouth, I believe I'm demonstrating God's power to overcome. Demonstrating the power of Jesus. So speak it out. Second is this, very simply. After you speak out the impossible, then lead into the impossible. Key to that word leading is that somebody's following you. Some people get a download or revelation or an understanding of something audacious, miraculous, supernatural, and it sends them as spiritual cowboys all by themselves. That's not leading. Leading means you're taking somebody with you. So it does not mean they have an equal level of faith with you. They may not have the same level of revelation or understanding or, or faith for what it is that you want to contend for, but bring some people along with you and say, we're going to go after this. We're, we're going to contend for this. We're, we're going we're gonna, to, I believe God is calling us to this. And you choose to lead boldly. Others aren't going to do it. So why don't you be the one that begins to lead? Lead into the impossible. What if God is calling you to be the catalyst or, or the spark that brings about the impossible in your scenarios, in your story, in your family? Maybe the, the, the cultural dynamic in your home right now is toxic or everyone's arguing, everyone's cutting each other down. What if God is calling you to be the, the catalyst for change? 
Maybe it's in your workplace. It seems hopeless. It seems daunting. It seems impossible. But God is calling you to lead. And if you begin to open up your mouth and tell a few other people about, hey, can we, can we do this? Can we, can we change this? Can we shift this? Change the way we talk to each other? And invite them into it and begin to lead into it. Step out and lead. And so part of my prayer this morning was that you would hear the commissioning voice of God spoken over your life. Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. There should be no doubt in your heart that you step into an authority as a child of God to step out and lead. There aren't supposed to be any spectators, any bystanders, anybody on the sidelines in the kingdom of God. God's calling you out into the game to be active and to begin to lead. So what is it that God's, God's beginning to burn in your heart? We're all supposed to be light in the darkness. We're all supposed to be salt, the salt of the earth. We're all supposed to be ambassadors. We're all supposed to be the fragrance of Christ. And that's a good smell. Fragrance of, the fragrance of Christ should be a good smell. I believe for some of us, you know, the longer we're in a place, the harder it is to see what it is that potentially God would want to do. We kind of we kind of um, slowly over time migrate towards an, an apathy or unbelief or doubt. I'm not saying that's the case all the time, but I challenge you. If you've been in Ames a while, ask God in a fresh way, God, what do you want to do in Ames, Iowa? What do you want to do in my family? What do you want to do in my home? Begin to dream with the Lord. He's, he's calling you to rise to the occasion. He's not done with you. And as you begin to lead courageously, you begin to lead by example, as you begin to speak these things out, there's this, there's this magnetism, I believe, to this sort of leadership, courageous, bold leadership. You see uh, the story that'll come, you know, a few decades later, as Joshua and Caleb and the, all the other spies are sent into the land, of, uh, into the promised land, they're the only two that come back with a positive report. They were the, the, the vast, vast minority, and yet they turned the tide of the people to believe that, hey, we can go for this. This is our destiny. This is what God is calling us to. I believe there's this magnetism, this desire for all of us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Begin to speak it out, then begin to lead into the impossible. I'm gonna invite the worship team forward. If you're getting bab- baptized this morning, you should go, to, go get into your, uh, your dunk attire, so... There's a really inspiring story that's uh, taken place locally here. Um, there's a ministry called Wings of Refuge. They meet in our church every Wednesday, and they're doing incredible things. But this ministry just rose up in the last couple of years, and it's amazing to see how God's used them to combat a very impossible situation, the, the current crisis of human trafficking. But the story of this ministry, and Brandy Schleisman's, you know, part of the leadership team there at Wings of Refuge, but... Uh, the, the, the origin story of this ministry is phenomenal. It's inspiring. They, there's a group of people that saw a documentary. And it's the seeds of, you know, the eye-opening seeds of, of the crisis at hand that began to open th- their eyes to how God would potentially use them to, to bring an answer to this impossible scenario. And so it's just a documentary movie that began to spark conversations that then spurred them to action. And they all different faith in different ways to begin to step out and lead, but slowly there was a coalition of people that began to, to be formed. And before they knew it, an actual ministry began and they began rescuing their first girls. It wasn't just a matter of time. 
And just a few years later now, they have two homes here in Ames that are transition homes. That you know, women, as they get um, rescued out of human trafficking, these are homes for them to, them to begin to acclimate to, to new normal and, and life as it is and gain life skills. And it's, it's phenomenal. It's a beautiful picture of the impossibilities that God is calling us to. That if we take it step by step, begin to speak them out and then begin to lead slowly but surely in the direction that God is destining us to, what can happen? Action matters. Take a step. Let's rise up out of our passivity. Would you all stand in this place? I'm encouraging you to lead this morning. The body of Christ is not meant to be a one-man show, a one-person show. God's calling you with boldness, with courage to begin to step out in your spheres. I believe it. And maybe it's gonna take a few more weeks of convincing for for there to be that faith uh, that actually drives you to action. But we're gonna be here in this passage because this is so burning in my heart. And I I feel like in our, our Western culture, it's easy to live a life, especially as a Christian, where we don't have to trust God for anything. We're we're blessed with so much. We don't have to, we're not living day to day or week to week. We're given so much. Even the poorest among among us have more than everybody else on the planet. So we're blessed with so much. And so I I believe that it's gonna take a little bit of um, extra time and effort for us to push through this, push through this um, comfortable Christianity and into the unknowns of, of, and the mysteries of impossibilities in Christ and giving space for God to do the miraculous, amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're stirring in our hearts. Lord, you're aligning us with our inheritance. It's the people of God. You, we've been grafted into the story. We read this Exodus story, and Lord, it's not just distant history, but instead you're grafting us into that. You're, you're, you're demonstrating to our hearts that that's our story. You've delivered us and you're taking us from glory to glory, from impossibility to impossibility. And this morning we praise you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you that you're the God of the miraculous. Thank you that you're still moving today. You're moving in hearts. Thank you that you're still restoring families. You're still setting people free. Lord, you're still setting people free of addictions. You're still healing minds of anxiety and panic attacks and depression. Thank you, God, that just like you provided taxes and a fish's mouth, you still provide financially. You still own the the cattle on a thousand hills. That's still true today. It's who you are. And so, God, I pray you take us on a journey over the next several weeks and beyond. That, Lord, you'd ruin us for for the causes of eternity. Or do you wreck us for your glory? And eyes would be open, hearts would be softened to begin to trust you. For some, maybe it's to trust God again. For others, maybe it's to trust God for the first time. You're gonna be calling out of this body, I believe, big risk-taking moments. So God, I just commission that over this church. I speak it out in the name of Jesus. God, dreams would arise impossible, audacious causes would begin to stir in people's hearts. For this moment, for this moment, Jesus, we're not a mistake. There's no person in this place that's an accident or a mistake. You're calling them. 
say in Matthew chapter five that we are the salt of the earth. We're like a city on a hill, a lamp placed on a lampstand. We're meant to emanate the very presence and essence of Jesus. I pray that over every single person in this place, if all this is new to you and church is maybe something that you, uh, maybe you've been around or maybe this is your first time in church, I want to give you context that we believe in making decisions for Christ and surrendering your life to Christ. And we're gonna see that in just a moment through water baptism. But if you're here in this place and you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus, you wanna you wanna surrender your life to Christ, would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray a prayer with you to surrender your life to Christ. Is there anybody? Awesome. I see one hand there. Anybody else? Okay. So if you if you raised your hand. Even if you didn't, if, if, if you want to make this your prayer, you can. You pray in your own heart or later in your own bedroom later tonight. You can pray this prayer saying, God, come to the end of myself. Right now, I choose to surrender my life completely to you as my sufficient Lord and Savior. It's the only answer for my life. And right now, I just choose to believe that there's new life in you. Your Holy Spirit's coming to live inside of me. Stop living my life on my own. King Jesus, from this day forward, no turning back. In your mighty name, amen. That's right. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.